Let's um, just bow our hearts, shall we? Father, as we come before your word again, Lord, we do so in humility. Lord, we recognize that our own thoughts, our own wisdom has to be subservient to your word. For your word is truth. And Father, we have in our own lives so many influences, so many things that would shape our thinking and our understanding. But Lord, your word is that which reveals what is really true. And Lord, particularly on this subject of love, as we conclude this morning, looking at our love for each other. Lord, just help us to understand what it is we should do, how we should do it. Lord, what it is you expect of us. And Lord, how that love that we share to each other or with each other, Lord, should be a great testimony and a witness to others. Lord, just impress these things upon our hearts this morning as we just turn to your word now, Lord. Just give us wisdom and uh, just clarity of these scriptures that we look at, Father. Help us to understand them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last few weeks, we've been going through this this study, looking at love. We'll uh, come back and talk more in a minute. I just want to read again, as we've done the last couple of weeks, this portion from 1 Corinthians. And um, we'll then... uh, just to comment on this a little bit later this morning as well. So, just First Corinthians 13 again, the first, uh, we'll just read through the chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Just a couple of comments. Let's just go back. I want to just look at some of those verses again. We're told, if I were to give all my goods to feed the poor, give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You know, it's interesting because the New Testament, and we saw this last year as we were journeying through, continually talks about laying up treasure in heaven, our reward that is awaiting us as we serve Christ faithfully. But we're told here that actually, unless it's all done within a framework of love, all of those things are meaningless. They don't count for anything. So for everything that we do in our walk as Christians, it has to be encompassed by love to have any value. We'll come back and we'll look at some of those other verses in a while. But this portion here we just looked at, that 
prophecies are going to be done away with, tongues will cease, knowledge is going to come to an end. And then Paul tells us here that we know in part, we prophesy in part. And he's saying that there's going to come a time when we'll get to the end of prophecy. We'll be there. Everything will be fulfilled that's recorded in God's word. You know, knowledge will be complete. And those things will then be done away with. But the, the contrast is that love will never be done away with because we'll never come to an end of love. There's a lovely kind of comparison that, that is drawn there. Now abide faith, hope and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Well, again, we've looked over the last few weeks. The first session we were looking at was just really talking about God's incredible love for us. And it's hard for us sometimes to really understand and to, to just grasp the magnitude. But just the scriptures we looked at previously, and of course we know the verses so well, but sometimes when you know something so well, it kind of almost obscures the meaning. But John 3, verse 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That was the love of God for the world. But then for us as believers, again notice that it's God that is doing this. It's God initiating the action. It's God's work. But for believers, this incredible statement in 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, upon you and me, that we should be called the sons of God. And what an incredible statement that we've been grafted in. We were strangers from the covenants and the promises from the commonwealth of Israel. We not only have we been grafted into all of that, but we have God's love and we've been given this incredible position as of the firstborn, the one who will inherit all things. And we have, as we were talking in that first session, so much awaiting us that God has for us. Well, in the second session, we were looking at our love for the Father. What should be our response to God's incredible love for us? And I just want to read this again because I think this is such a great um, summary, in a sense, of how we should love God. And this is taken from the Westminster Confession, and it's really a comment on the first commandment. And we looked at this in detail uh, last week. But just to read this again, it says, The duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify him accordingly by thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing of him, believing him, trusting, hoping, delighting, rejoicing in him, being zealous for him, calling upon him, giving all praise and thanks, and yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole man, being careful in all things to please him, and sorrowful when in anything he's offended, and walking humbly with him. That's just a great summary of the way our lives should be before God. We should serve God with all our heart, soul, our mind and our strength. And of course our love to God should be total and complete. And last week we talked uh, at the end of the service about uh, if God had touched you specifically in a certain area, just to to commit to God that you would lay that thing down, whatever that be. Now I don't know how many of you did that. Uh, I hope for those of you that if you shared with somebody afterwards that you had done that, that they've been praying for you through this week. And I don't know how you've got on with that. 
You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what it was that God laid upon my heart, but there was something specifically that God said, and he wanted me to, to lay down, to give up. And I asked somebody to pray for me, and I'm grateful because I've got no doubt they were praying for me through this week. But it was such a trivial thing in the scheme of things. But, you know, the more I thought about, Lord, why, why that? Why that thing? You know, if I was going to do a list of the things I thought God wanted me to, to give up, to lay down, whatever, or to really change in my life, you know, there would be probably a list I would put in order of the things I think ought to... You know, but God didn't go for the, the big things on the list. He went for something that really just spoke of the relationship. My relationship with him. What God wanted was not the big things. God will deal with those in his timing and whatever. And we all have big things in our lives we know of. But it was just something little that God said, I want you to give it up. But it was something that was of value to me. And that was why. Because it was of value. The things that, in a sense, sometimes we can easily give up. God's not worried about those things because they're not competing with him. God wants us to lay aside the things that matter. And the Lord just led me to the, the account with Abraham. Now, of course, for Abraham, it was a very big thing that God laid upon his heart, that he wanted him to, to offer up his son, his only son, Isaac. And Abraham was obedient. And I think that's the thing. You see, God's love for us, as we've seen before, is a jealous love. And he doesn't want anything competing and as I thought about the thing that the Lord laid upon my heart, whilst I hadn't really thought of it in that way, it was something that had competed from a time perspective with him. You know, he said sometimes, you know, we have hobbies and pursuits and things we do in our spare time. And we may think they're fine, and they may be innocent in that sense. They may not be sinful. But sometimes they compete with time that God could have. And God is a jealous God, and God wants all of you. As we said before, and Chuck Misler has said a number of times, you know, God doesn't want to be number one on a list of ten. He wants to be number one on a list of one. You know, and I just, through this week, I've just been amazed that God's love for us is such that he wants us to lay aside those things, that he loves us that much. It is a jealous love, and it's a wonderful love. You know, for those of you who are married, you want your husband or your wife to love you with a jealous love. You don't want them to be, oh, well, it doesn't matter who you talk to or who you spend your time with. You know, I want my wife to want to spend time with me. And I'm sure for those of you who are married and relationships, you know, that's the way you want love to be. You want the other person to really want you. It just means so much. And that's the way God is with us. He wants our love. And anything that comes in the way of that, he'll remove so, God loves us beyond anything that we can imagine. But that then should generate this response in us, to love God. And so now the final piece of the jigsaw is our love for one another. Let's start on this one in uh, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 13. We're going to pick it up at verse 8. Paul here speaking about the whole general subject of love. And he says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. Now we'll talk a bit more about this in a moment, but you'll see how important this is in the grand scheme of God's design. So we shouldn't owe anybody anything. 
not quite sure where that leaves us with mortgages and credit cards and so on, but that's another time we'll talk about that. But in terms of owing things one to another, in that context, we shouldn't owe, we shouldn't be indebted to each other in that sense, apart from just to love each other. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt commit adultery, thou shalt uh, not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, we talked the other week about the Ten Commandments. We'll come back to this in just a second. But re- reminding ourselves in Matthew 22, this rich lawyer seemingly comes to Jesus, um, one of the, the scribes, no doubt, um, and asks him a question, tempting him, expecting to try and trip Jesus up, and says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And in Mark's Gospel, he adds, with all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He carries on and says, And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus gives us a summary of the law in two parts. Firstly, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second part of it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And again, we look at the law. The first four commandments in the law are all summarized by Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. The second tablet of the law, and this is how the the Jews, the rabbis, believed that the law was given to Moses. This is why we have two tablets of stone. It wasn't because God couldn't fit it all on the first tablet. Um, It was simply the fact that um, these two major sections that we need to comprehend and understand. The second part of the law, then, Leviticus 19.18, tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. And all the things that fall in that second section are all about our relationship with each other. And Paul has just highlighted there that if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're fulfilling the law. The law is being fulfilled in that. Just coming back down to that verse in Corinthians. Again, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I remember when I was young, when uh, one of our youth leaders um, just just tried to draw our attention to the fact that, of course, God is love. And so easily we can transpose this and we put Jesus' name in there and it works perfectly. Look, Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not parade himself. He's not puffed up. He does not behave rudely, does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked. He thinks no evil. He does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Doesn't it work perfectly when you put Jesus' name there? What about, though, the contrast? What happens if we put our name in there? Now, you could put an I there, but you don't get very far. Let's just, just look at this. Let's just collectively, as a fellowship, is this true of us? We suffer long and we are kind. Probably we've already stumbled there, haven't we? We do not envy. Probably not very good on that either. 
We do not parade ourselves. <laughs> well, we pretend we don't, but we're not puffed up. We do not behave rudely. Sadly, I think we stumble on all of these, don't we? We do not seek our own. We are not provoked. We think no evil. We do not rejoice in iniquity, but we rejoice in the truth. We bear all things. We believe all things. We hope all things. We endure all things. No, we don't, do we? We grumble, we moan, we complain. You just see the contrast. You see the the gap, the gulf that exists between God who is love and ourselves. But you know, the good thing is that God is not going to leave us where we are. God wants to draw us. And I believe the last few weeks are just, again, just God's grace working in our midst, drawing us close to him, showing us more of himself and what he wants from us. You know, we realize that we are a long way short of the mark at the moment. But he who had begun a good work in us will continue it. And that's a great comfort to us. That Whilst we may look at that list, there may be some things there that we think individually, we know what actually... I I don't behave rudely. God has worked that in my life. Or, you know, I find myself, I'm not provoked by people. But, you know, there's a bunch of things on that list that we can't say. Not yet. But by God's grace, he's working in us. In 1 John 4, 7-8, John there says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. Now that's just such an important point. We, we made the, the comment in the first week that actually all of these things are kind of a progression. That you can't have love for each other unless you love God. And you won't love God unless you know his love for you. This is why we've gone through in this particular sequence. And here we just have it, again, made very, very clear to us. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. You can't love unless you know God. The world thinks it knows what love is. Of course, it has all these uh, um, songs that are written by these uh, pop artists and we have films made and all sorts of books written and magazines all trying to tell us what love is. Of course, the world does not get, does not understand love. We're told love is of God. That's the starting point. And we're told that everyone that loves is born of God. You know, without being born of God... You can't truly love. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not, knows not God. For God is love. Again, if we don't know God, then we won't be able to love. So the first thing we have to understand, if we are to love each other, and we're told very clearly that that's the fulfilling of the law, we should be doing that, that's absolutely, um, it's, it's an imperative for us as Christians. That's what we do, it's what we should do. But if we are to do that, it's got to start by our understanding of God's love for us and, of course, our loving God in return. John also says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Just a logical argument here. Because, really, this is the problem we often face. We look at each other and we judge each other by our own standards, don't we? But, you know, look at your own life. Look at what God has done in you. Look at the state you were in when God found you. You know, we're told very clearly in Scripture that it was while we were yet sinners, it was then that God commended his love toward us. That's when he showed us how much he loved us. When we were so far away, when we were undesirable, unlovely, that's when he loved us and demonstrated his love. And if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You know, how can you look at a a brother or a sister 
and demand of them anything when you look at your own life and you realise what you have been forgiven by God's grace. This is a, a, a freebie. Just turn in your Bibles with you to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, we have a, a situation where Jesus just gives us a little parable. Jesus says, picking up in verse 23 of Matthew 18, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, that's the equivalent of about 150,000 years wages. Uh, and not going to be able to pay that. Before as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. Now that's, of course, a type of the way sin is. Sin will cost us everything we have. Our wife, our children, our families, everything gets eaten up by sin. But the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. A ridiculous statement, but it's what we try and do before God. We try and work our way into some sort of a uh, semblance of salvation in our lives, but of course we can't do it. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, just as our God was moved with compassion as he looked at us in our miserable, sin-sick state, and loosed him and forgave the debt. I just we could spend a morning on that. Just the debt is forgiven. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Okay, just a very small amount in comparison. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now, there was a much greater likelihood that this individual could have finally cleared that debt if he'd been given opportunity than we could ever uh, pay the debt that we owed. But we're told, verse 13, he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then the Lord, after he had called him, um, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Should thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. You see, the real principle of that is, the individual then that went to this other person and says, well you owe me money, you pay me, he was basically saying, legally I'm entitled to get what you owe me. And of course he was. But you see, he'd been forgiven from the, the debt, the weight of the law that was upon his own life. And really the principle is, if you want to live by the law, well, you'll be judged by the law. And any believer, for us, just think, there's a horrific thought. If we were to be judged by the law, we fall so far short, every thought, word, action, deed, being brought into account against God's righteous and holy standard. But you know, if we have been saved by grace, then we forgive by grace. So we have a choice, either law or grace. And if in your life you want to live under the law and demand from others what they owe you, well that's fine, but then God effectively says he'll do the same to you and nobody could stand before God. And that's why we're to then show grace to each other. Again, this verse, Beloved, if God so loved us, if God gave up, forgave us such a great debt, doesn't demand anything of us. We also ought to love 
one another. First John 4 verse 12 carries on. We read, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us. And his love is perfected in us. See, again, the love that we are to have to each other is not out of this kind of, uh, as we said a few weeks ago, New Year's resolution or some kind of plan or program we put together to be more loving to people. It's not going to be our will. It's not our uh, plan to, to try and do this. It is God working in us. This is the only way it will happen. God needs to put something into us that was not there before. Again, if we love one another, it is because... God is dwelling in us. And his love is perfected in us. It's interesting, isn't it, that it implies that God's love is not perfected in us until we are loving each other. So there is a final piece to this jigsaw that we've been looking at. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21 says, If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God love his brother also. You see, it's not just an optional extra, this is a commandment for us as believers. We're to love each other. And we're to love each other on the basis of the grace with which we've been forgiven. You see, it's what God has done for us that enables us to love each other. You know, if it wasn't that we knew God's grace... It would be very hard to look at maybe another with that same view and attitude of grace. But when you realize what has been done for you, oh, it makes it so easy to forgive somebody else, to love somebody else, to not demand something of someone else. 1 John 5 verse 1 says, Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him that beget loveth him also that is begotten of him. In other words, if we love God, naturally we're going to end up loving each other as we allow God's grace to work in our lives. If we've been truly born again, then we're going to love the brethren. We just need to allow God to work this out in us as we look at each other and think about each other and what we can do to demonstrate this love. We'll talk in a moment more about that. But... 1 John 5 verse 2 carries on and says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Okay, so again, this is how we know that we love each other, that we love the children of God. What's the demonstration of that? It's when we love God first and foremost and keep his commandments. So when we are in a place that our lives are obedient before God, naturally we'll love each other. You may have, in your own lives, experienced times when you've allowed sin a bit of a foothold and you're aware that you've done that and you know those, those times. Sometimes it's very hard to be around other Christians. You don't want to be around other Christians because they kind of remind you of God. And sometimes we just want to get away from those things and we want to try and get back out of the, the spotlight of, of God's grace, God's love. And, but you know, when we're walking with God, when we truly are fellowshipping with him, there's nothing more exciting than bumping into a Christian and just spending time fellowshipping and sharing God's goodness and God's grace. And naturally, that love overflows. First John, back in chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, just says, He that says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light, 
And there is no occasion of stumbling in him. Isn't that a lovely thought? You know, it's implying here that our walk with God is partly determined by our attitude and reactions and attitudes to one another. You know, if we love each other, it's actually going to help our walk with God. It's going to stop us from stumbling. Why? Well, because there's an accountability there. If we truly love each other, we're not going to want to do things that cause each other to stumble. And we're told very clearly in Scripture that we are one body. And if you were to do something that, even if other people didn't know about it, was to be in disobedience to God, you recognize that's going to have an impact and an effect on each other. So by loving each other, by doing things in a way that will bring blessing to each other and not allowing sin into our lives, the whole of this picture comes together. It's our our obedience for God, our love for each other, all to combine, just stops us from stumbling. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not whether he goes, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. What a horrible condition. What a contrast is painted between those two positions of either loving your brother and walking a life before God where you're not stumbling or hating your brother, not desiring to be with your brother, not desiring to spend time fellowshipping with Christians and so on. Hereby we perceive... The love of God, this is 1 John three sixteen through 19. Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. This is very similar to a number of other scriptures we've already looked at. But this is why and how we know. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, again, our love for each other doesn't make sense until we get it in the context of God's love for us. But when we realize what God has done for us, God gave up everything. He gave up his son. For us, Jesus laid down his own life. And we're told, so therefore, that's the pattern that we should imitate. We're to lay down our lives for the brethren. Nothing is too much trouble. But whoso has this world's goods and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? It's very much as Jared was sharing with us in our verse of the week earlier on today. You know... We have a, obviously a, 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 an affection, a love towards those who are family in a, a biological sense. But we're family in a spiritual sense. We have the same father. First John three sixteen to 19. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Well, there we go. That's how we do it. So we're not just to love because we say we're going to love. It's not just a vocalization of the fact I love you or I, you know, care for you. Or, you know, just when we come together saying the right things, but in deed and in truth, just as Jesus demonstrated His love for the Father, we saw this the first time, the first session. Just as Jesus demonstrated His love for the Father by His obedience to Him, well, we're to demonstrate our love for each other by the things that we do. Jesus' love, again, by the things that he did, demonstrated the love for his Father. And for us, our love for each other is demonstrated. The real test of it is when we do things for each other. And I've, I've said this before, but you know, as every week goes by, you should be asking yourself, what have I done for my brothers and sisters in the fellowship this week? 
There's a number of things. It may be practical things that the Lord will lay upon your heart or opportunities will arise and the Lord will give you that opportunity of serving in that way. Or it may just simply be praying. But that's such a big thing. You know, if we were to go around this morning and ask one by one what kind of week you've had and the stresses and the pressures and so on, you know, you'll be probably surprised the pressure each other are under in different circumstances, different things we go through, emotional problems and financial problems sometimes, and, you know, just stresses and pressures of life. You know, and if we were to pray for each other more, what a difference we'd see. It doesn't necessarily change the circumstances, but it change, changes our perception of those circumstances and we, as we realise that God is in charge. You know, you get great contrast in Scripture. You get the children of Israel that are panicking, that they're, they're worrying about where they're going to get water from or food from or how they're going to get away from the pursuing army. And, you know, then we have God just open up the Red Sea or provide water from a rock or, you know... The situation remained the same, but then God comes in and does something that was beyond what they'd expected. And we need to be living that life where we just trust God. But, you know, the problem is we get so influenced by the world that we need to be praying for each other. So that we're continually reminded of God's grace, of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness. That God will never leave us or forsake us. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And of course, what I think is the bedrock of church life, Galatians 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We've already been talking about which law this is. This is part of the law. The law is summarized in those two things. Loving the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. The law is fulfilled when you bear one another's burdens. You know... Even being so bold as to say to another brother or sister here, is there anything I can do for you this week? And not being frightened that they might say yes. This is from the, the NIV, but I quite like the way it translates this. It says, Love must be sincere. It's from Romans 12, 9 through 18. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Great summary of our actions and our response to situations. And it just concludes this verses, these verses by saying, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it be possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Just really speaking of our attitudes. And again, all of that is possible because of our understanding of what God has done for us. Galatians five, thirteen through 15 just says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only, not, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You know, we've been given an absolute incredible freedom. We've been set free from, from the penalty of sin. 
You know, Jesus on the cross cried out to tell us I paid in full. Again, that picture is often used of a, a Roman prisoner when they'd be put in prison upon the door of the prison, would be nailed, a list of all the, the crimes or whatever it is that they committed and why they were uh, incarcerated. Now, once they paid their time, that would be stamped to Telestai, paid in full. And they would then have the opportunity of anywhere they went, if somebody said, weren't you that, that prisoner? You, they'd be able to show their certificate saying paid in full. They paid their due to society. Well, for us, all of our sin, all of our sin, paid in full. We have such liberty now. And we're not only that, but we've then been invited into this incredible family, this family of God, where God says that we are to be as sons, as the firstborn, inheriting all that he has, all the Father has for us. Think of the, the privileged position. You are royalty. You know, not, that's not just some kind of comment, that's a statement of fact. The God who created everything, the King of Kings, has called you into a relationship with Him. So, with this liberty, what we're told to do is to love and serve one another. And again, we're told for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. You see, this theme keeps reoccurring through the New Testament. But if you bite and devour one another, we're told, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. It's not a good place to be, verse 15. You know, there are churches, sadly, where people do bite and devour one another, and it's not a happy place. But by God's grace, as a fellowship here, we need to learn to love and to serve one another. And what a witness, what a testimony that will be to the world when people come in and they see the care that we have for each other. Because we're going to be together in eternity. God has allowed us to be in this classroom, as it were, together. We're all learning together. You know, in this classroom where the Lord is teaching us lessons of grace and his mercy. Where we're beginning to understand more our salvation where we're realizing what God has got ahead of us and how we are to deal with the the situations in the world, how we're to interact with the world. You know, we're learning together. And every Sunday we get to come back and share notes with each other of how it's going. And then other occasions during the week, Bible study, prayer meetings, wherever else we get opportunity to fellowship together. I want to just close with this verse. It just says from Thessalonians, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You know, it's not going to be long before the Lord comes back. We look at the world, we look at the events that are going on. There's no doubt we are gearing up for an end-time showdown any moment. Lots of very interesting things taking place before our eyes. Prophecies being fulfilled. Jews returning en masse to Israel. Just as scriptures have prophesied and foretold for thousands of years. It's happening right now. They're going back to the land. 
You know, in uh, I believe it's uh, Jeremiah, where the Lord speaks of hunters and fishermen being sent to pull Israel back, to chase Israel back, to drive them out of the countries where they are, to drive them back to their land. Isn't that what's happening right now? You know, the coming of the Lord is very close. And so for us, there's this challenge that our hearts are to be unblameable in holiness. You know, what a wonderful thing to be in a place... You know, we're never going to be totally rid of sin until that time that we're taken from this world. We've been saved from the the penalty of sin and we are being delivered from the power of sin right now and ultimately we'll be removed from the presence of sin. But we're in that middle stage at the moment. The power of sin is this, this thing we're battling with. We're called in scripture to overcome. And there's great rewards and blessings for those that do. But one of the, the great ways that we will overcome is by loving each other. As we saw earlier, it will help us in our walk. Let me just read this again. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, for the reason, this is why we're going to do that, so that God will establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. What a promise. By loving each other, it's going to help you in your daily walk personally. You're going to benefit by loving each other. And God is going to establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. And what a wonderful occasion it will be when the Lord comes and calls us to meet him in the air. And we look around, we see each other. With that smile on our face, it's like, yes, we got there, we did it. Not because of ourselves, but because of God's grace. Because all of this stems as we started out in the first week, from his love for us. Let's bow our hearts. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your love for us. And thank you, Lord, that your word makes it so clear how we are to live our lives in a way that is pleasing. And Lord, whilst these are commandments, they're not commandments in a way that you demand of us. Lord, they're there for us to follow, to obey, because we love you, because we are so grateful that we've been forgiven such a great debt. And Lord, we recognize, as we look at our brothers and sisters, that we are fallen, we are sinful, that we make mistakes, we get it wrong, we sometimes say things that hurt and offend and we don't mean to. But Lord, help us to love each other through whatever comes. Help us, Lord, to serve each other, to bear each other's burdens. Lord, that we work together, that we grow together. Thank you, Lord, for putting us together in this classroom of your grace. That as a fellowship of believers here, we can learn from each other, we can grow together, we can understand more of your grace by loving each other. And Lord, that great promise that in doing this, you will establish us in holiness. Lord, we thank you for these things. We just pray that you impress them upon our hearts. And help us to live our lives in a way that brings honour and glory to Jesus in everything. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen.